He teaches regularly at several Bay Area Dharma groups and is active in bringing meditation and uh, Dharma to prisons. He's the co-founder of Sati Center for Buddhist Studies. He has recently completed an 11-month intensive meditation retreat at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts. Thank you. So I have a topic. This seems a little loud to me, kind of echoey. What do you think? How is it? Is it good or it's good? Not too much. It's right. Okay. Okay. Maybe pull it down just a little. We'll see. Okay. Anyway, so um, I have a topic to discuss, but first I just wanted to take a few minutes and see if anyone had any questions. <clears throat> okay. Um, so um, the part I wanted to discuss is I hope it will be um, <coughs> short and we'll have plenty of discussion time and that will be another time if some questions come up later then there'll be another opportunity. <clears throat> Last month um, I took my mother to New York for a wedding and um, so there's a lot of family there and uh, from all over and one of my cousins came up to me and asked me, well, you know, why do you meditate? What's it all about? Why do you do it? And so, you know, how do you answer that question? It's probably different for all of us. But I, um, so I tried a few different things. I, I don't remember. I said something like, well, you know, we create so much of our own suffering. I started that way. He just said, well, no, I, what do you mean? No, I, I don't create my own suffering. He just couldn't relate to that at all. Okay, that didn't work, so I said, <laughs> I don't remember, you know, things like, um, well, you know, we, we tend to live so much of our lives kind of what I call being on automatic pilot. We're sort of like not really awake in the present. We're just kind of, kind of almost kind of unconsciously, automatically going through life. He said, uh, that's ridiculous. What do you mean? He just couldn't relate to that at all. I tried a few more angles. Um, but he kept coming back and I was quite happy just to let it go but he kept he kept the conversation going and so at one point and this was a big mistake I said um, I said well you know this is all an illusion don't you <laughs> which is absolutely true and, and um, I mean it's a real good illusion and any of you who've certainly, I don't think meditation practice probably isn't the only way to get direct seeing into that, but it's certainly one way where we can actually see into that deeply. And um, that was just too weird. And so <laughs> finally, I asked him, what, where's the question coming from? You know, what, what are you trying to find out and he said well, what do you want and he said about himself he said 
My mind won't shut up. My mind just won't shut up. <laughs> so that was a, a way then to talk about something that he could relate to about how we can start to train the mind and how our minds aren't, right? We shouldn't expect our minds to be able to quiet down because we haven't trained them, right? And that's actually um, is a place where we often get into some suffering in our own practices. You know, we come and we sit down and we think the mind should quiet down and, and well, it hasn't been trained, so that's what we're doing. We're training it. But in the beginning, well, of course it's not going to quiet and settle down. Right, and an analogy that I think is really good uh, that I often use is around um, um, physical exercise. For any of you, if you ever go to say a gym and want to, I don't know, it could be anything, uh, lifting weights, or um, my wife uh, goes to these spin classes at her gym, which are very intense, and she just recently got me to try them. And uh, when I first went in, it was just, it was just really, really hard. I wasn't even close. And I've noticed as I've gone in a little bit, I'm not that regular, but I've noticed the muscles have strengthened and my endurance has strengthened and now it's not so hard and I can more easily do it. When you first go in, you're not trained. I shouldn't expect that I'm going to be there like those people up in the front row, you know, who, you know, really are, are strong cyclists. But over time, you can develop and can see the, the real fruit. It's the same thing with our minds, right? We come in and sit down. Our minds are just completely out of control. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a quote from Ajahn Sumedho. Uh, yeah. This is Ajahn Sumedho. The human habit of clinging to desire is ingrained. We in the West think of ourselves as sophisticated and educated, but when we really begin to see what is going on in our minds, it is rather frightening. Most of us are horribly ignorant. We do not have an inkling of who we are or what the cause of suffering is or of how to live rightly. Not an inkling. Anyway, so my cousin and I talked about various things, and that was the doorway in. And the thing that really struck me about that that I wanted to bring here was this idea that, you know, there really is no one, no, there's no one reason that's the reason why someone does or should come to any kind of spiritual practice or does anything in life. And in the Dharma world, you know, Dharma practice is not just formal meditation practice, although that, in our tradition, that's a pretty big deal. Um, in some uh, branches of Buddhism, it's, it's not. But, um, you know, everything that we include into Dharma practice, why do we do it? So if we were to go around, which I don't, we won't do that unless people choose to share later, but... Um, there won't be one answer for all of us. We all come for many different reasons. My guess is, is that for all of us, it's, and maybe this is true for everything we do in life, it would be some version of, in some way, we want to make our lives better. Maybe there's some kind of suffering we have in life and we don't 
We're looking for ways to work with it. It could be physical difficulties or mental or emotional or anything. Um, for some of us, it maybe we don't know why. We're just drawn to do it. So something pulls us. You know, um, when you look at so much of what the teaching's about, I think it would draw a lot of people teachings around cultivating loving kindness and compassion and more wakefulness and clear seeing and more freedom so we learn to live in a way that creates more well-being for ourselves and others and less suffering for ourselves and others. Well, I think many of us would sign up for those kind of things. I think, yeah, that's, that sounds good. And that's really all we're talking about. And then what are skillful means? What are the ways to speak and act and live that supports that and has us grow in those areas. And But, you know, sometimes when I've heard people say to reflect upon your intention or your motivation for practice, I oftentimes don't have one set concept or phrase or set of words that come up in my mind. I don't know why. It's just infused into life. So what I would like to do is... Um, I want to offer four very short reflections. And we're literally only going to take about 30 seconds or one minute each. I'll just say a few words and just let the words go in and reflect. And just to see what's true for you on the reflection. And at the end, I may say just a little bit, and then I'd like to open it up and see if anybody wants to say anything or share. And so I want to emphasize that I certainly don't have, uh, I'm not trying to, when you get these reflections, I want to be very clear that I'm not trying to suggest what anyone's answer should be. But it's all about just seeing what's true for you. Okay. So the first reflection, and just um, um, I would invite you to, if your awareness is not, just to really connect inside. You know, you, you may or may not want to close your eyes. You don't have to. But just to be kind of uh, connect into mindfulness. And then let, let the, the reflection or the question go in. And there may be some words or there may be just kind of a vague sense of something, however it wants to come out. So the first reflection I'm going to offer in several different ways of saying it, because some people I find I've been doing this since I've come back from this wedding with my mother the last few weeks. I've been doing this a few times and I found that some ways of saying it people relate to more than others. So just pick the sort of the flavor of what I'm saying that, that connects best for you. So the first reflection is to mm, it's just to reflect upon um, one way to say it is is that what is most important to you in your life or what is your life about what's it about 
or, or could be what would you like your life to be about? Another way of saying it is to connect with your deepest or highest intention for your life. Or it could be about your deepest motivation in your life. What's most important? What's it all about on the deepest or highest level for you? Okay, that's the first reflection. The second reflection is are you happy with how you're actually living your life in relationship to that highest or deepest intention or wish? In relationship to what your life is about in the deepest sense how satisfied with are you with how much or to the degree or in what ways you're living none of us are you know live perfectly in harmony with our highest truth but just to reflect on you know that for all of us there's a gap between what we, you know, what's most important and what, how we actually manifest, and just to reflect on how wide we, we think the gap is, maybe is another way to think about it, but just how satisfied we are with, with that. And it's not a judgment about ourselves, it's just to look and see what's true. That's the second reflection. I know we're going, you know, fairly quickly through these. But you just let it cook, and it might cook for a while, you know, when these questions go in. Third reflection is if there is some dissatisfaction or if there is this gap. Just to reflect upon what is it that creates that separation or that gap? Or you may think, what holds you back or what keeps you from living more? I'm not talking about perfectly, but what keeps you from living more in harmony with or live more deeply or more truly out of or from that place that's most important? What stops you? 
what pulls you in other directions. If that's true, that may not you may not feel like there's a gap. Okay, that's the third reflection. And then the last, the fourth reflection is what would support you to live more a life that's more harmonious or integrated or connected that comes more out of or more that you live more deeply or more closely connected with your highest intention or what's most important what would support you So that's the fourth. Sometimes when I've done these reflections, even though when I do them very quickly like this, I kind of know right away that's what's happened to me. On some levels, I can sort of sense each one. That may not be true for you. But I've also found that then, once I've kind of planted the seed of those questions, then with time over later in the day or over a period of few days, it might even open up more for me. I find that happens on lots of times when I reflect on something. So that could happen if, if this, these reflections are of interest to you. So I just want to say a few comments about it before we open it up uh, for discussion. The first is I, I said in the beginning that I, I was did not in any way, I'm not trying to suggest what your life should be about or what should be most important to you in your life. And that is true. However, I would like to add that I, and, uh, I'm assuming that you know, this is a, a, a selected group, people who have chosen to take this morning to come of all the things you could be doing, to come to a Dharma center and take some time to practice and talk about the Dharma and reflect. So that, you know, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that for all of us, at least a piece of what's important to us in our life is, you know, I just use a very broad term about sort of these spiritual aspects of life, if I can use that term. I'll say it even beyond the word Buddhism or Dharma or meditation, but even more broadly, those kind of qualities. I would hope that even if it doesn't mean that, for example, our careers shouldn't be important to us. I'm not making a judgment. You have to find for yourself how that is, or families, or our finances, or our homes, or everything that makes up our lives. But I would certainly hope that whatever the answer is for us in all those areas, that we would want to bring in a piece of, in addition, add a piece around Dharma kind of qualities. Which the Buddha would say was ultimately a liberation through non-clinging. So that's a whole Dharma topic right there. Some of you are quite familiar with and some that might be a new concept. So we're not going to get into that too much now. 
And there are a lot of reflections, other reflections that I haven't brought up, but that, that are meant to actually start to incline the mind to, more towards Dharma. About reflecting on life and death. Right? Once again, we're not going to go off and have a whole Dharma talk about that, but it, it might be worth to add in some reflections if, if of, um, you know, putting our life in the bigger perspective, if you will. I would also like to say something about um, the second and third reflections, which are around how satisfied are you with how it's going, and then what is the the third reflection, what pulls us away in those areas where we do get pulled away, and to really honor and acknowledge that there's a lot of things that can pull us away. Some of them are external circumstances that pull a lot of our time. So we may have very, very busy lives, for example, that we just get caught up in a lot. There might be a lot of demands and pulls on us. That might be one. And some things we might, we may or may not have choices on what to do about those, or, or may. We may want to make changes or not. That's just one. And there's also all the internal things that pull us away. And I just want to tell the uh, last thing, one story that I've... I tell the story. I've told it here many times. It's my favorite story. And I've said it probably a hundred times. I love this story. And it's in one of the prisons when we... Uh, there's a couple of prisons. We have a program down in Soledad at the two state prisons down there. And one of the prisons, they have what's, they had a, they often have these lockdowns. This is a level four prison, which is the highest security level. And so there's a lot of violence that goes on there. So, you know, there might be a fight or someone got stabbed or just whatever happened. There's a threat or something. So everybody gets locked down. So we have a weekly group. And so there was a lockdown that had lasted for two months. And what that meant is, is that you're just in your cell 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't get out for two months. And these cells are small. And they feed you in your cell. You have a toilets right in there. You just don't go out except twice a week, one by one. Individually, they'll let you come out for, it's like 15 minutes. They walk you over to where the shower is and you can take a shower and you go back twice a week. That's it for two months. So at the end of the two months, the lockdown was over. We could run the group again and we were back meeting. And so we were going around talking to people. How was it? And, you know, and some people... Or had a you know have a really hard time as you can imagine, and then there's a mix. Other people, you know, well they've just learned to kind of deal with it, and you know, kind of found a way where they suffered less around it. I'm sure they weren't happy about it. And then I asked people, well, how was your meditation practice going? And one of the guys said, I just couldn't find the time to practice. <laughs> You know, and then you think, what's he got to do? <laughs> they do have TVs in there, and I could imagine, you know, it's like I know for myself, um, I'm a, I'm a real sucker for the for the old westerns that were not the new ones, but I don't know if there are new ones, but the ones were made like in the 50s, like in John Wayne's time, those kind of westerns, and even a little earlier, I just love them. Even the bad ones, there's something about them, I just love them. And so I remember once, sometimes, uh, uh, I remember I, when I was working uh, this one job, and I'd come home, and I'd be tired at night, and 
get ready to go to bed, but just, just to turn my brain off, I found TV just was really, it was just great. You know, you turn it on, it kind of helped me relax, just turn my mind off. I was too tired to read and do anything. So I just, and I would flip around these channels and find like those old movies. I remember once it was, um, I think it was like one o'clock in the morning, I was watching this movie, one of these westerns. I had seen it twice before, and it was not a good one. And I was still noticing I was sucked into this thing. It was pulling me away. And I was even said to myself, you know, Shankman, you're going to be in the morning. You're just going to be tired. And it's not even good. But I was just pulled into this, watching this stupid Western. And so it's just an area to reflect on. Sometimes things just pull us. And so it's useful to reflect on what's most important to us, I think to really notice that it's easy to get pulled away. So, for example, this guy, and, and also to acknowledge that it's just kind of part of human nature, that even, you know, you might say to yourself, oh, well, if I was in a prison cell like that, I'd just meditate all the time, and I'd really go deep in my practice. I mean, you may or, that may or may not be what you would think, but if so, well, maybe, or maybe you'd be watching, you know, the, I don't know what, the fifth, rerun of some old I Love Lucy that's coming on because it just pulls the mind. So just not to beat ourselves up, but to acknowledge that there, you know, we, it's just how it is. Things pull us. And it's not easy. So anyway, I'm going to stop there and just open it up if anybody has any, could have some questions, but also if you had anything you wanted to share or say. Yes. Oh, I think they want you to wait for the microphone. Excuse me. Thank you. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Thank you for asking those questions. Um, so one of the things about what brings me the most joy is when I I feel like I disappear. Um, I, I work as a therapist and also an educator and there are times when I can see that the skills and the knowledge that I've accrued just is in the service of the conversation and there's no me. And then, you know, half an hour later I'll kind of reflect on it and say, oh, that is so interesting that I wasn't even conscious of what was happening but there was something in the interaction that just unfolded. Yeah. And then the other question, one of the other questions that you asked, like, um, where's the dissonance or the tension for me? I feel like, okay, I'm 58 years old. I'm ready to retire. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to live in Kauai and go body surfing every day and eat papayas, but I'm a householder and I'm raising three children. And so the place where the tension is for me is in bringing myself back to, okay, well, this is the choices that you made. You know, be here with that. Don't keep on looking ahead and saying, well, that's where I'd like to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I really appreciate what you're saying, and it really points to the whole place of, of course, if you're raising three children, it's not like a choice. I mean, people do walk away from their children, but for most of us, it's probably not a choice. Uh, of what you're doing, but also it just points that place of of where in life 
do we have some choices? And, you know, we may or may not make changes if we could. But, and then there's the places where we don't have choices. And then, and when is it time to make a choice or when is it time to sort of be with things as they are? You know, it just brings up that whole, that whole thing. Well, the one, one thing that I have learned in the last couple of years is to bring in those things that bring me pleasure and not wait, <laughs> you know, not wait until the moment that I'm on retirement, but yeah. actually to do the things that are really joyful now. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you. That's great. On the, is it on? On the fourth one, um, what is it that's keeping you from... The fourth one was what, what would support you. Oh, okay. But anyway, it's the one that would... What, what, okay, the fourth please one. Please go ahead, sorry. All right. And the, the thing that came to my mind was to try harder. And then I thought, but there must be something more than that to it. But I couldn't think of anything else. So I think maybe that's the way I approach things, is to try harder. But yeah. what else is there? <laughs> yeah. Are you asking a question or are you yeah, just making it's a, a statement? Question. <laughs> oh, well, it's, um, when you talk about try harder, I mean, I, I'm not sure, ex- there's a lot of different um, nuances to. There are, of course, places, and it's appropriate sometimes to try harder in general. Now, so I don't know specifically how you, you know, I don't know you, so I don't know how that applies. But I think also it's important to recognize that sometimes we want to try harder, we want to try harder, but we keep getting the same result or we're not, it's not giving the, what we want when we try harder. And what's actually not needed is not necessarily to try harder, but maybe it's a change in perspective or to see um, uh, what, well, if I... You know, I say for all these years, I keep thinking I need to try harder, keep try harder, but I'm still, whatever I wanted hasn't changed. Well, what's been the block there? What's been changing? Because one of the things that's important to remember is, is that um, one of the most important ways where this practice is working is working on our conditioning, the conditioning of mind. It's changing the way our habitual patterns in Buddhism, we use the term conditioning. It's changing them, and then ultimately leading to a place of to free us from our conditioning. Um, and we all know that if if you've ever tried to change a habit in the beginning, how hard it can be. Um, I know that um, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to bite my fingernails. I haven't done it for. My, most of my adult life, but when I was a teenager, I used to bite, and I wanted to, and it was a habit, and I wanted to uh, stop. And I noticed that there was sort of that, I would be unconscious about it, I wouldn't be aware, and I kept thinking, I need to try, try. Um, but you know, the habit's deeply ingrained, and so it took a long time of just, it was just bringing the, in, actually, as I reflect back, the best I can remember it, it wasn't, it wasn't trying harder, but it was just more. As I brought the intention, uh, intention there to make the change, it just started bringing more awareness around the, around the process. 
And I think in that case, it doesn't mean that there's not a time to try harder, but in that case, and I think it's true many times, it's just by bringing more awareness to things that there's sort of a self-liberating or self-transformation that can start to happen. So I started to notice that I would just find that sometimes I'd be aware, I'd be biting my fingernail, but I would sort of wake up in the middle of that and be aware of what I was doing rather than just sort of unconsciously having gone through it. And then I started to notice more. And as I started to notice more, that slowly started changing the condition or the habit to get to I start to notice when the urge would come ahead of time. Maybe I would still bite the fingernail because it was um, still a strong uh, impulse, but I was starting to become more and more aware. And just through that, I think there's something about just becoming more awake and aware, and then we bring that to whatever's going on. Um, and then that helps us also be more tuned into when is it time to make more effort and when is it time to... Um, you know, sometimes the thing that's needed is less effort too, of course. So. There's, a lot, there's a lot that could be said around this whole thing of efforting. Um, I found that along the same lines, uh, it's sort of like being lost in a in a forest, going along the path that gets darker and darker, and figuring that's must be the way to go. It gets worse and worse, and so often the thing to do is just to stop right there and maybe get into a little analysis a little bit turn around and find maybe it's often going the opposite way we're going. And it's, like you say, it's just a matter of changing our, um, our position, our approach. Um, whereas if I try harder, say, this must be the way out, it's going to get worse and worse right. and worse. And uh, if I go a little further, maybe I'll find it and it gets yeah. worse and worse, but I keep, keep stubbornly going in that direction yeah. where I just have to stop turn around and take a deep breath yeah. and go the other way. Yeah. No, I appreciate that and it, it, it just reminds me that I think one of the most basic statements possibly that we could make is that this idea of freedom or liberation or enlightenment or whatever term we might use, if that's a real possibility, it certainly hinges upon, is dependent upon, excuse me, our ability, our ability to be mindful and awake. To the extent we're not mindful, to the extent we're on, as I call it, being on automatic pilot, we have no freedom or choice. In those moments, we are simply acting out the habitual patterns, the conditioning of our mind. So we have a certain stimulus, certain inputs, certain experience, certain things happen. And then we have whatever way that we just our natural response and reaction to that. And we're just playing that out. It's just like a, the machine is running through its programming. It may be, and hopefully in a lot of areas of our lives, that unconscious habitual uh, way of responding and acting maybe gets us by okay and we're not it's not necessarily a problem and then we probably all have areas I know I certainly do where you still get caught where that uh, habitual react reactivity 
doesn't necessarily always lead into the best way, but to the extent, and that's one of the big things we're practicing here about becoming more awake, more mindful, more clear, as that happens, it's from that place that then we start to have more choice and, and those seeds of freedom sprout from. So it's real important to keep that concept in mind. Thank you. That was very helpful. It inspired me to say what I'm about to say. So here it comes. <laughs> um, uh, while you were speaking, um, an image came to me of uh, a lot of people have seen the movie Matrix, The Matrix. Well, this image flashed to me where these guys were sitting inside this space. Well, I don't know what it was. I guess it was a fast moving magical machine that travels all over the place. Anyway. Um, Anyway, but these guys are sitting there and they're watching this panel, this like lights, these little words and symbols that are going by right in front of them, right in front of them, you know? And, and they're kind of like these guys are interpreting it, like their minds were able to pick out where something was happening over there and over there and this sector was doing that, whatnot. And this image came to me that, you know what? This is like in meditation. We're sitting here in this quiet place and we're letting things, if you will, go by visitors, Tanjeff likes to call them visitors, um, of thoughts, feelings, emotions, things that um, we allow to be there. And because we are, in a sense, trying to wake up and to become less affected by the ignorance that's you know, all around us, um, we, we can then make better choices. Anyway, that, that, that kind of made me get a sense that, minute, well, what are we doing inside? And um, anyway, for me, that that fits for just a simple analogy of of um, you know what what am I paying attention to when it arises within me? What what am I capable of seeing? And then watching that reaction I have to it. You know, am I am I caught by it? Do I want to go play with it, or am I repulsed by it? You know, what is that? And um, anyway, so it just it just feels like. A, no way of investigating it, seeing it a little differently. That was it. So why don't we take one more and then we'll we'll end. Um, hi, I'm I'm fairly new. I I just started coming here, and something. So I have a question for you. The last question you pose. I didn't have an answer. I was like, I don't know. Of what would support you? Yeah, and I was like, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, so what could be a good way for me, for anybody else, to yeah. start answering the question? What yeah. could be a good uh, beginning? Well, I don't, yeah. So that's a great question. What would be supportive? So I will say two things about it. One is, of course, depending on what aspect of your life you're talking about because, you know, this question could have, you know, it's sort of built in that it's kind of a Dharma question and it's around those Dharma aspects of our lives. But it's actually whatever came up for each person, right? So if, it w- if, if what's needed is um, that, well, you know, I, w- I really want to be a writer and I'm trying to... to Write. It's not about you know Dharma practice or whatever. And I and I need to find time to do my creative writing each day and everything. But I get 
then it would be looking at that and reflecting and see, well, what would be supportive? Would it be getting with a group of writers who get together regularly to write? Or would it be making a special place in, my, in a corner or making time when I tell my partner or my spouse or my children for 15 minutes, don't just, or I don't know, there's just many things. Just to look and see, I think a lot of it comes out of what pulls us away and what we want. So I, I don't know the answer for you. But one of the things I want to suggest from a Dharma point of view that there are several things that are sort of general answers that may be helpful to you um, that are kind of the standard answers we give. But I think they're standard because it's what many people find. So around the Dharma, first of all, um, some people naturally connect with groups more than others. Some tend to want to be more kind of in their own and some with groups. But I would say, just like coming here today, here we are all together doing this practice, I think that many people find that, you know, we use this word sangha, which has had a lot of meanings over, over time, but certainly for now we're meaning it to you. It, it means this community of people who come together, uh, of practitioners. So many people find that connecting with community, you know, to whatever level works for you, whether it's showing up once in a while or on a regular basis or actually getting involved in the community or finding the activities, that can be very supportive. It's a structure and there's other people around. Many people find from meditating, especially when they're uh, newer to it, that there's something that really happens about sitting in a group, even if you're sitting with your eyes closed and the room's perfectly quiet, it's really a different feeling, much different than just being at home by yourself meditating. So finding support in community or groups or things like that. Other things that can be supportive can be um, different readings, if you relate to that. Finding some books or just one or two. It doesn't have to be you know, a library full, but a few readings that can be inspiring and where you can learn and just get inspiration that way. Um, and then another thing that can be helpful is... Uh, even if you're not connecting with a, um, a song on that level, certainly either finding some spiritual friends or um, a teacher or teachers uh, can be very supportive who you can bounce things off with, talk to occasionally, set up an interview time. I think all these different things are possibilities that could be helpful. And then, you know... I don't know if that's useful or not. Okay, okay. So we have to end. It's actually quarter to 11 right now, which is the ending time. And so I'm just going to take, it's going to be very short, maybe two or three minutes to end with some metta, some loving kindness just to end. But if you need to leave since, we, since we're going late by about three minutes, please don't feel weird about it or anything. Just get up and go and, and you know, take care of yourself and that's fine. And for those who are going to stay, um, what I invite you to do is... Um, so what can happen sometimes for some of us is when there's a discussion like this, it can pull us into, the, into concepts, thinking, and we're out into the room of, of the discussion. So if that's happened, I would invite you just to notice that and then bring your awareness back, connecting back inside to yourself. So to the extent you can, without making a struggle about it, but just in a real soft, easy way, trying to drop out of 
the concepts, you won't be able to do this 100%, but into the actual experience, the embodied experience of just being here, of sitting here. Experience in the body. There may or may not be some emotions or thoughts or feeling tone or moods. But just connecting with that whole range of your experience. Not having to do anything with it. You don't have to calm it down or change it, but just allowing the awareness to just connect. And just to see what's there. And then I also would invite you to um, to notice how are you holding that experience? Or another way to say it, what's your, the relationship you're having with whatever your experience is right now? See if there can be a sense of allowing, just letting yourself be, letting that experience be of acceptance. And if there is something or some place or some aspect of your experience that you find you're not able to hold with some acceptance, then bring some acceptance for that, for that place. And then it's out of that place of, 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 from a self-acceptance that, that we can start to send some of that loving kindness to ourselves, that metta. And so it could, be a, um, it could be a felt sense or it could actually be a thought or a wish or a prayer. You could actually repeat. Actually, you could make up your own words, but the, the classical words that we always use are very simple and you could just repeat silently to yourself, may I be happy. It's very simple. Just repeating that wish. May I be healthy. May I be safe. Free from both inner harm and outer harm. May I be peaceful. And this metta practice, doing metta, loving kindness practice for yourself, that could be your whole practice for a long, long time. It would be very powerful and very, very fruitful. So you can stay with that if you'd like, or you can allow your awareness to expand out, so to send that metta to all the others here in the room. You could say the same wish or prayer. You know, may everyone here be happy and peaceful. May everyone here be free from suffering. You could allow your awareness to radiate out beyond this 
built room and building and it could go out into the community, into the, into the world and beyond so that we radiate out this loving kindness um, in all directions to all beings everywhere. Just as I wish to be happy, may all beings be happy. And just as I wish to be free from suffering, may all beings everywhere be free. And then finally to end with this prayer um, from the Metta Sutta. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Thank you all very much.